while ago, and it caps uh -huh, a very G's. eventful week it's in multiple investigations. This is urgent. Trump. Uh, CNN for breaking news. 6 we begin with a new legal blow for a key Trump ally, Senator Lindsey Graham, losing Lady G, aka a Lady new G. attempt to try to avoid facing a grand jury in Georgia next week. The ruling by a federal judge in Atlanta happened just a little while ago, and it caps a very eventful week in multiple investigations linked to the former president. Let's go to our CNN political correspondent Sarah Murray. She's here with me in the Situation Room, Sarah. Senator Graham is making effort, every effort to try to avoid testifying. What's the latest? That's right. Earlier this week, the senator went to a judge and, and you know, he had made the argument that he should not have to testify before the Georgia grand jury, saying that anything he did was legislative activity. It's protected under the speech and debate clause. Well, the federal judge said earlier this week, I'm not going to quash this subpoena. So Lindsey Graham goes back to the judge and says, will you at least stay this decision? Will you put it on pause so I don't have to appear before the grand jury? This coming Tuesday while I file my appeal. Well, today the judge said she was not going to do that. In her ruling, she said, Senator Graham raises a number of arguments as to why he is likely to succeed on the merits, but they are all unpersuasive. So she said she's not going to press pause on this. Now, Lindsey Graham has one other sort of iron in the fire here, trying to delay his appearance before the grand jury. He also notified the appeals court that he is going to be filing an appeal, and he asked the appeals court, can you please press pause on this? So I don't have to show up Tuesday before the grand jury while my appeal is playing out. We are waiting for the appeals court to make their decision on that. They want to hear from the district attorney in this case. And look, the reason that the district attorney believes that Lindsey Graham is a crucial witness is because Graham had reached out to Georgia Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger. They had a phone call, and Raffensperger came away from that phone call with the impression that Lindsey Graham wanted him to throw away a bunch of ballots in Georgia. Now, Graham has denied this, but the DA said, Obviously, they want to know about that call. They want to know about what led up to that call. And they want to know what other conversations Lindsey Graham may have been having with the Trump campaign, you know, while the Trump campaign was going through these efforts to try to overturn the 2020 election in Georgia. And, of course, we should add that all of this is coming after Rudy Giuliani, a former attorney to President Donald Trump, appeared before this grand jury for six hours earlier this week, although we still don't know what, if anything, he shared with them, Wolf. Yeah, interesting indeed. Lots going on. Sarah Murray, thank you very, very much. Out of the fallout over the classified documents former President Trump took with him to Mar-a-Lago. We're getting new information right now about deep concerns inside the Biden White House and inside the U.S. intelligence community. Let's bring in our CNN justice correspondent, Jessica Schneider. Tell us about the CNN new reporting we're getting. Yeah, well, Wolf, one senior administration official is telling our team that there is, in fact, deep concern here, you know, about what Trump took and if it could potentially put at risk the sources and methods of the U.S. intelligence community. And beyond that, there's deep concern within the U.S. intelligence community as well. Representatives we've learned from there have met with the Justice Department, the National Archives, also congressional intelligence committees to talk about these potentially sensitive documents that were missing. And this is all coming as new details in the criminal investigation into those classified documents are being disclosed. 
New information revealed in documents related to the Mar-a-Lago search, sharpening the focus on former President Trump as a possible subject of the criminal probe. The application for the search warrant unsealed Thursday reveals that among the crimes DOJ is investigating includes the willful retention of national defense information, language that could point to the role of Trump, who would have been authorized to possess national defense documents while in office, but not once he departed the White House and moved to Mar-a-Lago. The papers don't specify Donald Trump in particular. You usually, as a prosecutor, don't specify a person, but we can sort of try to figure out what they mean by the words they did give us. Trump's former attorney, Rudy Giuliani, who's a target of another criminal probe out of Georgia investigating election fraud, he lashed out defending the former president. And now they want to make him responsible for having taken classified documents and preserved them. Really, if you look at the Espionage Act, it's not really about taking the documents. It's about destroying them or hiding them or uh, giving them to the enemy. Right. It's not about taking them and putting them in a place that's roughly as safe as they were in the first place. Trump and his team continue to push publicly for releasing the full search warrant affidavit, which would have a lot more detail. But they didn't file any motions to that effect in court. A source tells CNN that remains a possibility, while Trump is continuing to hunt for additions to his legal team, including someone with experience in Florida. The one thing I did like today, and I have to be positive about this, he said, look, there is... If it's redacted too much, I'm going to take it and I'm going to redact it myself. Since the search, threats against FBI agents have reached unprecedented levels, a source tells CNN. That's why a House oversight panel is calling on social media companies to take immediate action and identify the number of threats made on their platform since August 8th, the day of the search. The demand comes in a letter to social media companies, including Meta, Twitter, and TikTok. And when it comes to that search warrant affidavit, prosecutors now have less than one week to submit proposed redactions to the judge so he can decide what might be released publicly. But you know, Wolf, it could really be a tall task for the DOJ to decide which redactions to recommend because they previously said that any of the redactions that they recommended would be so extensive that, in their words, it would make the affidavit devoid of contact of content. So we'll see what the DOJ comes up with and what the judge might ultimately release here. It'll take a few days. We'll find out next week. Thanks very much, Jessica Schneider, reporting for us. Let's break all of this down with our legal and political experts. Dave Ehrenberg, your legal expert, uh, does Senator Lindsey Graham's argument against testifying actually hold up? Not at all, Wolf. He really doesn't have any good reasons to block this grand jury subpoena. And the which he's relying on, that protects legitimate legislative activity, not campaign-related phone calls to election officials in a state that he doesn't even represent. So you can see why the judge ruled against him, and even ruled against giving him a stay. So he's going to have to show up. He's an important witness in Georgia, and not because he's a target. Uh, in, in fact, I don't think he will be prosecuted there because his call to Raffensperger was not recorded, unlike Trump's call. But he's still an important witness, and he should testify. Look, he chose to make that call to election officials on behalf of Donald Trump. So essentially, uh, he bought the ticket, now he's got to take the ride. Yeah, you, you make an important point. You know, Gloria, Gloria Borders with us as well. I want you to watch and our viewers to watch what Raffensperger actually told me about his conversation with Lindsey Graham back in 2020. Watch this. You came.
came away with the impression that he essentially wanted you to look for ways to toss out mail-in ballots. What exactly did he say to you? Well, he asked that the ballots could be matched back to the voters, and then they, I, I got the sense it implied that uh, then you could throw those out. Well, just an implication that uh, uh, look hard and see how many ballots you can throw out. How does that line up, Gloria, with the pressure Trump was actually... I think I accidentally hit it <coughs> while I was, I'm gardening. Gardening. I have to wash my hands. That was really interesting to just, uh, yeah, anyway, thanks for um, joining me on the Christopher Gabinator. Show and thank you for a million subscribers and followers. I do daily ASMRs with chickens. <laughs> and oh, yeah, Trismegistus. Oh no, um, oh darn, just like jail them all. God damn it. Just, uh... What does the Book of Gates say about oh, Egyptians? Oh, man. <sighs> oh. It's with the phone. What's going on, man? Wait, pudding. I'm Georgia officials. It does line up. Look, this call was on November 13th after the 2020 election. And you have the chairman. This powerful $99 drone is now available in the U.S. This is an extremely high-tech $5,000 drone. It was of the Senate Judiciary Committee, also a supporter of Donald Trump, calling the Secretary of State of Georgia and saying, you know, let's let's take a look at let's take a look at this. And what Raffensperger has also said is that it sounded to him like Graham uh, wanted to explore the possibility, as he put it, of a of a Trump win. Now he says this is related to his uh, official duties. It doesn't seem like Raffensperger uh, sees. It that way and we and we do know of course you have to remember the infamous phone call that donald trump made on january 2nd 2021 which i would have to say Thank was you, just a little bit more direct when he asked raffensperger to find 11,000 plus more votes you're an expert in this area cnn has now learned as you heard that the U.S. Intelligence Committee has actually been in talks with the U.S. Justice Department about possible missing sensitive documents. Mm. Just how great potentially are the national security risks in all of this? Well, it depends on what exactly the documents were, but based on the return on the search report, uh, the search warrant from the execution of the search at Mar-a-Lago, we know that there were highly classified documents that were among the boxes Probably that have now been returned to the government under that exactly. search. So uh, according, if they're classified at the top secret level, that means the government assesses they could cause exceptionally grave damage to the United States. 
if that information got out. And so first, the intelligence community is going to want to know what was the security uh, provisions regarding those documents? Is there any risk that those documents have been uh, communicated in some way, whether verbally or in writing or in any way gone outside of people who were trusted individuals? They were already just by the fact that they were at Mar-a-Lago outside of secure ways of storing them and, and beyond and the president was the former president was no longer authorized to have them so they've already gotten out the question is is did they get into any hands that would be uh, damaging to u.s security but i have to say well the u.s intelligence community is often reluctant to publicly describe how damaging a uh, breach of classified information actually is so it's going to be a long time and i i don't know exactly what details we will end up knowing regarding how damaging uh, this breach was. Yeah, very important point indeed. Dave Ehrenberg, considering the highly sensitive, very classified documents implicated in this investigation, do you expect the, the public will learn much if this judge does release what are called redacted portions of the affidavit? Wolf, I don't think so. I think the judge wanted to show that he was being fair and even handed and he wasn't going to be an absolutist. So he said, look, I will look at it and have redactions suggested by the government. But what that tells me is that it's going to be like Swiss cheese. He's going to redact pretty much the whole document because (laughs) the stuff that's in there is really important. It gives away sources. You can't put sources at risk in this environment. You can't put witnesses at risk. You can't give targets a heads up so they collaborate. And it would jeopardize a future defendant's right to a fair trial. So I think what you're going to see are five to ten words on every page and the rest is blacked out. Uh, So I know that people in Trump's orbit are cheering what the judge said yesterday, but they're doing so prematurely because although it may be unsealed in reality in practicality though it will still be confidential because the good stuff will be kept out because as you know gloria there's incredible public interest right now in learning more about this search but is any amount of information going to actually calm trump supporters who are already stoking all sorts of conspiracy theories out there. No, in fact, uh, you know, what it could do is, you know, feed those conspiracy theories. Because while there are perfectly good reasons, as you've just outlined, about why you need to redact, um, the conspiracy folks are going to say, well, why didn't they tell us this? And why didn't they tell us that? And why are we only seeing three words here? And so the, you know, folks who want to believe what they want to believe and create conspiracies can create some more. And they probably will. All right, guys, thank you very, very much. Just ahead, we're going to take a deeper dive uh, on the legal implications of all of this. If a redacted version of the Mar-a-Lago affidavit, for example, is released, constitutional law expert, the Harvard professor, Lawrence Drive, standing by live. Then later, Russia and Ukraine. Right now, we're following all the new developments connected to the FBI search of Mar-a-Lago and the classified documents found there. Let's discuss with Lawrence Tribe, the renowned constitutional law professor at Harvard Law School. Professor Tribe, thanks so much for joining us. A senior administration official tells CNN there's what they call deep concern that the highly classified documents that were at Mar-a-Lago, that were there at Mar-a-Lago, that the president of the United States hasn't necessarily been briefed on the criminal investigation right now. Is that the right call? Well, I think it is right for the president not to be involved 
in the investigation and prosecution of a particular individual. But I have to say, Wolf, just taking a step back, you and others keep using the term classified documents. And that's part of the confusion that the former president is trying to create. Top secret. He says that he has the power to declassify them because no, he, doesn't. he could just do that in his capacity as president on his way out of the White House. Every expert in this field says that no president has the power just by waving a magic wand to declassify things. But the most Bullshit. important point, and I can't stress this too heavily, is that all three of the federal criminal laws that this search warrant was looking for evidence to prove, all three of them, are independent of whether the material were, was classified or not. The most important, the Espionage Act, says that whether it's classified or not, top secret material defined in terms of stuff that if it gets into the wrong hands could endanger the security of every one of us, the national security. That kind of material can't be removed from the White House, even by a sitting president, let alone by someone who has lost the presidency and taken outside of what's called a skiff to an insecure location like Mar-a-Lago. So it's really important to know that when people are worried about the security of the United States, whether, for example, nuclear secrets are out there, and some of them appear to have been destroyed illegally by somebody at Mar-a-Lago, when they're worried about that, it's no answer to say, well, the president declassified them. Remember, too, that he thinks he re remains president. He thinks he's president still. That's why he keeps coming up with these inconsistent defenses. He says, they're my materials anyway. Give them back. He says, <laughs> I have every right to hold on to them. But on the other hand, he's failed to bring any lawsuit to get them back or to challenge the legality of this search and seizure. He's trying to have it every which way. Those arguments don't wash. Is the Justice Department right, Professor, to be deeply so concerned about witnesses and the possibility that... You see this black box right here? Well, I'm going to show you something right now. Some people are concerned that skippy, they might skippy. have to go for a long period of evidence might be destroyed. Sure, I mean, we know, just we've seen the evidence in our own, <laughs> with, in our, with our own eyes of, of government documents that are torn to pieces in the president's toilet we know that it was his habit sometimes to chew this stuff up the intelligence community is telling us that some of the top secret material they're looking for seems to be missing you know we're very right to be worried maybe it's in saudi hands maybe it's in the russians Probably, hands maybe yeah. some of it went to his uh, best friend chi from china whose love letters he kept we just don't know what's happened to this stuff and it's very important that we not have a system in which somebody says, well, I think I won the election, therefore I can do whatever I want, and you can't really hold me accountable. It's critical that the FBI be allowed to conduct this search. I'm glad they were. And the president's own lawyer, Christina Bob, who was in the courtroom, said nothing on the question of whether the documents should be unsealed or not. So the president is trying huh. on his social media platform to say, I want everything to I come out. Both sides. But on the other hand, 
although he's not reluctant to bring lawsuits, he's never filed any motion, any lawsuit to challenge this search, to challenge the seizure, or, or to unseal the documents. Yep. So he's really trying to pull the wool over our eyes in every possible direction, and he's playing with fire. This is very dangerous stuff. It certainly it's is. really it's not a game. The president is treating it like a game. Yep. Professor Lawrence Tribe of Harvard Law School, thank you so much, as usual, for joining us. We'll certainly continue this conversation down the road. Coming up, fear of a disaster on the scale of Chernobyl as as fighting intensifies right now around a Ukrainian nuclear power plant. First on CNN tonight, new satellite images dispel Russian claims that Ukraine is to blame. If we demilitarize, as we propose, the plant, the problem will be solved. But Russia says it won't pull its army out of the plant. Instead, Kremlin-controlled media blaming the U.S. and its allies for the standoff and threatening the West with nuclear strikes. NATO should have no illusions, the anchor says. You won't get away with this, and you can't hide from us anywhere. We have enough warheads for everyone to get what they deserve. So some pretty strong words there from the Russians, but on a more positive note, after that call, Wolf, between French President Emmanuel Macron and Vladimir Putin, both sides said that Moscow now agrees to let IAEA inspectors to that nuclear power plant there in Zaporizhia. That could happen as early as September. Of course, all of that only if the security situation there does not further deteriorate, Wolf. CNN's Fred Blanken reporting from Moscow. Thank you very, very much. Uh, let's discuss right now with CNN military analyst, retired U.S. Army Major General Spider Mark Spider. A senior U.S. defense official says the U.S. is monitoring the uh, Zaporizhia nuclear situation, quote, very, very closely. Give us a closer look at why this is of such great concern. Yeah, it's I- extremely important. I mean, getting the overview, as, as we can see, is Zaporizhia is located right here. What's important is we get down a little bit more closely on the map. It's important to notice that where Zaporizhia is located and what Putin is describing is that he is saying the Ukrainians are firing on the, on the, um, on the reactor. And in many cases, what is happening is the Russians are no doubt firing on the Ukrainian positions, yet they are exercising the Ukrainians a whole host of what I would call firing discipline so that this type of activity is not done. Let's go down and look at the satellite images that we've seen before. What's important, as Fred indicated, is that this location does not indicate that there is much activity in terms of destruction or some type of military activity that's taking place. The real concern that we have is what's taking place inside the plant. As you can see, this is a surreptitious video, probably taken from a backpack or somebody's pocket. And if you look at this right here, this is not an IAEA, IAEA vehicle. This is not a nuclear inspection vehicle. This is a military vehicle, as you can see. A total of about five of these are located inside the plant. That's the significance of this activity that's taking place right now. The risks are extremely high. You know, it's interesting. One other point I wanted to make. Western officials believe Russia's Black Sea aviation fleet right now is facing uh, what, what are being described as some significant setbacks. What are you seeing? Yeah, wh- what has happened most recently, is, as we've seen before, is there have been some attacks 
on Crimea by the Crimea by the Ukrainian forces against the Russian forces. Now, bear in mind, Russian forces have been in Crimea since 2008. So it's important to realize that what Ukraine can do in Crimea indicates access and probably a lot of coordination that's taking place with separatists. So the attacks that have taken place, as we can see with this imagery, is here it was back in May, a whole host of aircraft that are positioned in Crimea. And as of just last week, only one aircraft remains a portion of another. That's it, because the Ukrainians are having great success. What that means is that at the tactical level, the Ukrainians are having tremendous success against the Russians, as we've seen. The Russians, however, have the momentum in terms of the operational location of their forces. So what we're seeing with this success is probably an operational stalemate that's taking place right now. The Trump factor is certainly looming over the upcoming midterm elections here in the United States with some, some Republican candidates aligning themselves as closely as possible with the former president, uh, some pivoting away from him and others trying to avoid him as much as they possibly can. <laughs> Let's go to CNN Capitol Hill reporter Melanie Zanona. She's up on Capitol Hill. Melanie, with what, 80 days until the midterm elections in November, you have some new reporting right now about the Republican strategy. What are you learning? Well, Wolf, I am told that Tom Emmer, he is the head of the House GOP's campaign arm, has been privately counseling some Republican candidates in battleground districts to avoid the Trump talk and to not be distracted by the former president and to instead focus on the issues like inflation and crime when they're out on the campaign trail. And so it is very clear that GOP leaders want this upcoming midterm to be a referendum on Joe Biden and not on Donald Trump even though he does continue to remain a powerful force inside the party. And I've talked to a number of these Republican candidates, and they said they do try to avoid talking about Trump. One of them told me that they only mention him when they're asked about Trump. Another said they don't mention him by name ever, and they try to just focus on his policies. But that is getting increasingly difficult to do with Trump dominating headlines, coming under investigation, and even teasing a potential presidential run before the midterms. And so there is a lot of Republican concern about how this is all potentially going to impact their efforts to retake the House majority. But Wolf, we should also point out that this concern about Trump's role in the midterms is not just limited to the House. In the Senate, we heard from Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, who has said the fall fight is going to be extremely close, in part because of some of these Trump-backed candidates who have struggled in their races. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Uh -huh. They're gonna, uh, Mitch, even Mitch McConnell said uh, that Senate, he didn't expect the, uh, I think the, the, there's a, probably a greater likelihood the House flips than the Senate. Candidate quality has a lot to do with the outcome. Candidate quality, yeah. Right now we have a 50-50 Senate in a 50-50 country. But I think when all is said and done this fall, we're likely to have an extremely close Senate. Now, McConnell did not mention Trump by name, but it is clear he is frustrated with how things are shaking out and huh. he's trying to set some expectations ahead of November.
Good point, Melanie and Zanona. Thank you very much. Let's get some more on all of this. Joining us now, CNN senior commentator John Kasich, the former Republican governor of Ohio. Governor Kasich, thanks for joining us. What does it say to you that your party's strategy for the midterms seems to be shifting away right now from embracing Trump to instead trying to focus on substantive issues that really matter to voters? Well, if I had a laugh at the person that says, I will never mention Trump's name, it reminded me of Voldemort in, in Harry Potter. But look, in a general election, uh, you know, candidates are going to try to move to story. the middle. So uh, Republicans are smart to not get into this whole Trump world and to talk about the issues of inflation and job growth and all that. Being a but I have to also is, tell you, well, there's a, world, a Democrat dude. incumbent candidate who's running in Ohio and given the old stiff arm to Joe Biden because, uh, you know, Biden's not very popular in, in places. So it is just not unusual Wolf, when you are running in a general election for people to try to they, they'll hug the person that's popular. But those people who are not very popular, it's like picking the gum off their shoe. You know, they don't want to be attached to them. And I think that's what we're seeing happening. The other thing, Wolf, I think is important is I've said it a couple of weeks ago. The Senate is absolutely not in Republican control at this point. It's everything is up and it's because these candidates are not so great. But in the House, I think you're going to see a Republican pickup. We will find out. But do you agree with Mitch McConnell right now what he says? I, I do. And here's the interesting thing. Some of really bad candidates and they got picked because Donald Trump got him picked. And then Trump went, look, I, my people all won. But the problem is some of them are not very electable in a general election. So that'll be something the Republican Party will have to assess when this Especially is over to figure out who Donald Trump is and is he very prison. popular. Uh -huh, but again, I think you're going to see it on both sides. Both parties are going to be the Democrats. Some are going to run away from Joe Biden and Republicans are going to run away from uh, Republicans are run away from Trump. And they should still <laughs> stick to the issues that I think that matter the most to them. Republicans John Kasich, the former Ohio governor, thanks so much for joining us That's as usual. Coming up, top Democratic to lawmakers sounding the alarm right now over a surge in online threats against law enforcement the, uh, yeah, in the wake the of the FBI search of former President Trump's <laughs> Mar-a-Lago resort. We've got new information. This is kind of cool, back. actually. <laughs> If the, if the, the get a Tonight, little... top Democrats on the House Oversight Committee are sounding the alarm big time in over the, the increasing seats. and very disturbing number of violent online threats against U.S. law enforcement following the FBI search of former President Trump's yeah. Florida home. And Fox you know, is talking about it like it's Brian, fucking These threats rain. are now being described as unprecedented. Right, Wolf. Law enforcement forces telling CNN many times in recent days that FBI agents and yeah, other law enforcement personnel are simply under siege Trump. with these threats. So many of the threats are coming on social media platforms. And tonight, members of Congress are saying enough. An urgent call from key members of Congress to social media companies. Do something about the surge of online threats to law enforcement. Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney and other top Democrats on the House Oversight Committee sent letters today to the chief executives of eight companies, urging them to, quote, take immediate action. I'm all for the First Amendment. What I'm not for is insurrection-type, violent-type speech being promoted, passed on in these mediums that can lead to a really destabilized situation. 
In the letters, the members of Congress cite a post on the Donald Trump-founded platform Truth Social saying, quote, F the feds. And one from another user, quote, arm yourselves. We are about to enter into civil war. My chief concern is that if this rhetoric continues, if the enemies of the people language continues, I'm worried that more people are going to get killed. The letters from Congress yep. to the social media That's companies true. come days after a law enforcement source told CNN there's an unprecedented number of threats the FBI is investigating against its personnel and property. Also, a joint bulletin from the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security obtained by CNN warned of a threat to, quote, place a so-called dirty bomb in front of FBI headquarters. The bulletin cites calls for civil war, armed rebellion, says specific law enforcement agents have been threatened with death. Analysts say far-right extremists, including white supremacists who have access to firearms and explosives, could target FBI agents in the field. So now if you're an FBI agent, every single door knock you do, every single individual you go to interview, as it relates to the ongoing January 6th investigation, now you have to worry about, do they want you dead when you knock on that door? The head of the FBI Agents Association recently told CNN threats against agents are, quote, real and imminent. It came in the wake of an attack on the FBI's field office in Cincinnati. And in recent days, a Pennsylvania man was arrested for allegedly making threats on social media, saying FBI personnel, quote, deserve to die. My only goal is to kill more of them oh before God. I drop. I'm hearing wow. agents talk about uh, now carrying additional firepower, additional ammunition. The simple task of walking out of the field office and going to lunch now requires an extra layer of situational awareness. Now, another big concern that members of Congress pressed the social media companies on today, doxing, the practice of releasing someone's personal information online or on social media. The members told the companies that FBI agents have been targeted with doxing in recent days, including information about one agent's wife and child. Oh, good. Now they're going to fucking so, fix so the problem because they're, they're the target. Brian Todd, thank you very, very much. <laughs> Just ahead. So what's right. driving the often deadly rise in anti-Semitism? They didn't give a shit before. CNN is taking an in-depth look at the very, very disturbing rise of anti-Semitism here in this country. Dana Bash explores some of the reasons behind this spike, including horrible. the tone right now of American yeah, politics. Thing Take a look Nazi at this Trump. clip, focusing on, in on God, journalist Julia Yaffe who was the target of anti-Jewish hate back in 2016 after publishing an article on Melania Trump. So people feel very brave sitting behind their keyboards. She was motivated by her family who fled anti-Semitism in the Soviet Union when she was young. I owed it both to my parents and to my ancestors to not be quiet about it. Some of your supporters have viciously attacked this woman, Julia Yaffe, with anti-Semitic attacks, death threats. Soon after the attacks, Wolf Blitzer interviewed the presumptive Republican nominee. I don't know anything about but, that. You but mean, your message you mean to fans the, of mine? Su su supposed fans of yours hey. posting these... And when pressed again, this. But your message to these fans is... I don't have a message to the fans. There is nothing more dishonest than the media. So his silence he, uh, he was defended, taken out. No, he fucking defended the terrorists right there. Britain that Heller is, is a human rights advocate evidence. and a... Hey, I'm evidence Emma. right there. And I've got to confess something. Last Friday, I went out with a guy who was older oh than me. Oh my God, what the fuck Much is this? older than me. According to his driver's license, he was 71 years old. 
professor who compiles data about online hate. You actually saw data. Yes. We would see the number of attacking tweets on Jewish journalists spike. It was the largest spike that we saw in our data set. People took that as a green line. I've seen press that always tries to say Donald Trump's silence or his kind of words used is an instruction to do something bad. I don't buy it. Uh Joining us right now, Dennis. So what are the experts you spoke to for preparing this documentary, which is really important and timely and so excellent? What did they tell you why there has been this rise in anti-Semitism in our country in recent years? One of the reasons is part of what we just heard, which is silence from political leaders who know their supporters are, are attacking journalists, other people in a very hateful way. In this case, it's anti-Semitism, not condemning that. But it's also just the times that we live in, the Internet, these anti-Semitic tropes and conspiracies that have been around for thousands of years, Wolf, they can fly much more freely uh, online. And just even more recently, because people are online so much and because we've had this pandemic, COVID played a big part. People were getting more information, uh, had a lot more time to spare, but also because one of the age-old conspiracies about Jews is that they bring disease or that they run the world or that they want money, all of those Fed, the COVID fell fed into all of those. Yeah, so, so disturbing. And you wrote a really moving, very powerful personal piece mm-hmm. about your son coming to you and saying he wanted to wear a Jewish star of David. He did. He did uh, last, uh, this past Hanukkah, and he said, I, I, I want one. And he didn't do it in a very aggressive way, the way, you know, a child, they really want something. He was more sort of asking, do you think this is okay? Halfway through the holiday, when I hadn't gotten it, because I never bought it, he said, um, this is, do you think that this is going to happen? And I said, wait, you really want one? And he said, yes. And I said, why do you want to wear a Star of David? And he said, because there are kids in my school who are Christian and they wear crosses and they're totally comfortable with it. I'm very comfortable with my identity. I was a little nervous about it because we're Jewish and we know that there's a lot of anti-Semitism out there. We're adults and we know what's out there. And so uh, I was nervous, but I said yes, and he's had no problems and he's very happy with it. Such a sweet little guy. I know him. Thanks very much. Excellent work. And an important note to our viewers, Dana's special report, Rising Hate, Anti-Semitism in America, airs this Sunday, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on CNN. Yep, that's what you get <clears throat> with a traitor terrorist, Trump. At the helm. <sighs> Thanks for a million subscribers. I'm Laura Coates in John Lemon. Transparency. Now that's a word you're hearing a lot from the former president and his allies in the wake mm. of the FBI search of Mar-a-Lago. He's calling for the unredacted affidavit used to justify the search to be released. Quote, in the interest of transparency. Unquote. But Team Trump's interest in transparency doesn't seem to extend to, well, testifying. <laughs> Lindsey Graham is trying to dodge a subpoena to appear before the Fulton County Special Grand Jury investigating Republican efforts to overturn the election results in Georgia. A federal judge today refusing to put on hold her own ruling that the senator must appear. 
But he's also filed an emergency request with the U.S. Court of Appeals for the 11th Circuit, asking it to put the subpoena on hold, running it up the chain. And talk about transparency. A federal appeals court ruling just today that the DOJ has got to make public that internal legal memo that was commissioned by then AG William Barr back in 2019. Remember the one that he had to analyze whether he should charge then-President Trump with obstruction of justice related to the Russia investigation? Well, the court finding Barr never seriously considered charging Trump with obstructing the Mueller investigation, saying in the ruling that the memo Barr ordered was, quote, an academic exercise and a thought experiment. Hmm. Now, back to the Mar-a-Lago search here. The Biden White House has kept near total silence on the entire thing, at least in public. While Chief of Staff Ron Klain telling Don this. One reason why Joe Biden got elected president is he promised that he would stay out of meddling like his predecessor did in investigations being conducted by the Justice Department, uh, that he would not politically interfere in the Justice Department enforcing our laws. But CNN is learning that privately, White House officials are deeply concerned about exactly what Trump took to Mar-a-Lago huh. and whether it could potentially Top put the sources and methods of our intelligence community at risk. There's also a lot of worry about the potential that some of what's in those 11 different sets of documents, classified documents, may actually cause tensions with our allies. Hmm. Remember the FBI turnip material about the French President Emmanuel Macron. Remember that? What's in it, we don't yet know. I want to bring in Talk CNN correspondent, excuse me, Evan Perez, former Nixon White House counsel John Dean, and former U.S. attorney Harry Lippman. Wow, what a Friday night panel to have you all here. Evan, let me begin with Probably you. Because, can't look, get there's a lot of concern about these highly classified documents. They weren't found at the National Archives. They were found at Mar-a-Lago. But privately, the White House <laughs> saying that they're worried about sources and methods being put at risk. And I'm wondering, from their perspective, is it now becoming clearer why the FBI had to execute this search warrant? It, it does appear that that is their big concern. And usually with these type of types of documents, um, it is the sources and methods. A lot of this information, you know, if you have a memo uh, prepared for the president uh, ahead of a, a meeting with foreign leaders, you know, they get all of this information that's collected by the U.S. intelligence agencies. And that information does get out of date. What doesn't? get out of date are, are the sources and methods uh, that, the, that they use to collect this information. And this is why this stuff stays classified for up to about 50 years in many cases. And, and that's one of the concerns you hear uh, from administration officials. This was great, some great reporting from Caitlin Collins, uh, Kevin Littak, and Natasha Bertrand. And, and what, you know, what they were hearing behind the scenes is that even though you know the, the, the White House is trying to walk a fine line, they're trying to make sure they don't do anything that seems to be interfering with what the Justice Department is doing. They're also trying to figure out how to how to deal with the blowback and any uh, any any repercussions that might come might come from the former president mishandling this very very sensitive intelligence information.
I mean, it's not odd that they're biting their nails a little bit, right, Evan? I mean, a lot of this is coordinated. Our intelligence in the U.S., we have allies in intelligence spheres as well with other nations. So our own information could compromise potentially somebody else's information as well. There's, there's cause for concern they're probably contemplating. But, John, let me turn to you here because you hear the former president, Donald Trump, calling for the full affidavit to be released. He's talking about it from the interest of transparency. Now, I'm wondering from your perspective, do you think he's doing that because he knows that's likely not going to happen? Calling for time. I think I'm sure that's the case. He has to be aware from talk, just common knowledge that they're not, first of all, they're not going to release the highly classified information that was laid out in the affidavit. They're not going to release the witnesses because he'll go after them or his base yeah. will. Uh, he knows very well that they're really not going to spell out <sighs> the investigation. I don't think he's thought about what might come out. And I think it can be very harmful to him because there's nothing in that affidavit that's in his favor. Those documents are not written that way. They're trying to establish probable cause to exercise the warrant. And what it may well show is the back and forth between the Department of Justice and the National Archives trying to get material from Trump that he had no right to hold, that he had no uh, he had no business actually taking out of the White House and out of the security system. And that back and forth could be very ugly. Uh, And I think that's what is the most likely material that will surface out of this affidavit in its redacted form. Well, speaking of those redactions, Harry, I mean, based on what John has already articulated, I mean, it's likely that he's well aware that redactions are going to have a stream of black lines throughout it. You know how this works. And you also know, of course, that those lines can become the talking point. The idea of, hey, it's redacted. What don't they want you to see? It's sort of the idea of the wizard behind the curtain, and that could be used as well. And DOJ, they've got until Thursday to even propose redactions, and they think it might be so extensive that it would make it essentially devoid of um, anything really coherent or devoid of meaningful content. So if we're talking about an ongoing investigation here, protecting witnesses, classified information, Harry, what do you think the public is actually going to see? For sure. And, and uh, although Pat Trump is saying I want the whole we thing, John seen. is dead on. He knows it won't be so he'll be able to say he's aggrieved. They're, they're plainly yeah. doing a two-track strategy, his public pronouncements, and then, of course, in court where they took no position at all. What's the public going to see? At the very best, I think DOJ has got its black magic marker out and is, and is going to try to play ball, but there will be pages and pages and pages that are just blacked out. And as you say, come complete fodder for conspiracy theorists to say what's under here. He knows that has to be the case. And of course, we know from, from, as you said, with the White House, that's the reason they they first did this search. And that's what they're trying mostly to protect. And we'll probably never see the classified stuff. We will see everything else, by the way, if and when he's charged. That's the normal course of things. But you're totally right. It's, It's just set up for a rhetorical position, not a legal position to say, see, the jackbooted thugs are hiding everything from you, public. Well, let me ask, and to follow up on that point, though, Harry, does that suggest that Merrick Garland... Imagine you were in this situation, and someone began attacking you or your loved one. Would you know how to defend yourself and avoid becoming a victim? Go away, please. You need to pay close attention to what I'm about to say next. Skippy, skippy. And the Attorney General 
sort of maybe overplayed his hand in the sense of, yes, okay, calling the bluff. You want us to show the search warrant? Fine. We'll have it unsealed. But then the next step would have obviously been, logically speaking, the affidavit. Do they think that the DOJ did not, I mean, I can't imagine they didn't anticipate this request being made and that sort of talking point. Is it a matter of them just saying, look, either way, we cannot reveal what we have as part of our ongoing investigation. You've been a U.S. attorney. Would that be your thought? For sure. And it's not overplaying your hand. It's the hand they were dealt and the hand they must play. And to the extent they're they're responding, they're responding to the court's somewhat surprising pronouncement. Hey, I think there are maybe some things that we can actually preserve. Even the court is contemplating that it will be largely redacted. So they had to get the documents. It's an important thing to remember. We're now on two tracks, but the spearhead was getting them back for all the reasons that Evan and John said. So I I think it was a forced move on their part. Let me bring you back in, Evan, because this next question, I mean, I remember when this happened. We all do. We're all both old enough and young enough to remember the Mueller years, right? And today, the Oh, boy, we are. (laughs) Oh, boy, we are. Well, I'm not going to call myself old tonight, but I'll give it to you all. That's fine. We'll do. But the ghost of Trump investigations past is back with us. And there was a federal appeals court that ruled that the DOJ has got to make public an internal legal memo from back during that point in time. It was what Barr was actually going to ask and asked about whether he should charge, whether it'd be prudent to charge Trump. Remind us about that point in time. Time and, and why this is really an impactful thing. Yeah, it is impactful for the the appeals court uh, for the for, for this for the appeals court to decide that you know the lower court was right to say that these this memo should be released to the public uh, because it, it is not deliberative, right? This is what uh, the Justice Department has been arguing that this memo, which Bill Barr ordered from uh, his deputies, from people inside the Justice Department, uh, as sort of a a a, a reason to not charge the former president with obstruction of justice. This is something, if you remember, uh, Bob Mueller and the end of his investigation chose not to make a decision on and kicked Mm -hmm. it up to Bill Barr to make a decision. Bill Barr, according to the courts, uh, having reviewed everything, the courts have decided, well, this is really bogus. This was never really deliberative. Uh, The attorney general at the time had already made a decision. Uh, You quoted it correctly, uh, saying it was was an academic exercise and a thought experiment, which is really a strong language for the appeals court to basically say this was a farce, right? This was never a real deliberation. And so therefore, the Justice Department can't claim that it is deliberative and and keep it hidden from the public view. We need to see what this says to sort of give the public a full sense of what was and what really was not done at the end of that investigation. John, help us understand. I mean, why is the notion that it was not deliberative so important? If many people thinking about this, they remember thinking about maybe an OLC opinion about, hey, can you can you indict a sitting president? Well, to some, that could have felt like an academic, esoteric sort of discussion about thinking about the, the cost-benefit analysis. But the judge is quite precise here. Why is this such an important point that it was not deliberative? Because the deliberative privilege is just that. You cannot uh, get information about uh, the internal workings of the executive branch when they're trying to make a decision. 
uh, who's who's making the decision, how they're making it, what they're weighing. Uh, that is a deliberation that they then come to a conclusion. What the court said also in the language that was quite striking is they said what Barr did was the equivalent of asking the, the OLC, the Office of Legal Counsel, if Richard Nixon had broken the law during Watergate, which kind of gave me a chuckle when I read the opinion, uh, but it kind of sticking it to the Attorney General on how bogus his, as they said, hiding the ball really was in this effort to block understanding that there was no deliberation. So uh, it was a thought experiment and nothing more and should be available uh, for our reading pleasure pretty soon. I mean, I wonder when we'll actually be able to view it, and obviously as well, Harry, what impact it might have. As you, as you know, there's all these investigations surrounding the former president. There's the investigation in Georgia. A federal judge said they would not, she would not put on hold her ruling that Senator Lindsey Graham has got to appear before a special grand jury, which is investigating, as we all know, Republican efforts to overturn the election. And so I'm wondering, when you think about all this discussion about transparency, and one of the things that he has said has been about not the deliberative process, Process, but about the speech and debates clause that says, hey, I'm a legislator. I don't have to answer questions. I'm just doing part of my job. Is that going to stick? Mm -hmm. Nope. No. No. Uh, so first, just mm -hmm. to Graham, you, speech and debate means you're on the, the floor actually saying stuff. It doesn't mean anything, as he's claiming, as a, that a legislature might do. But man, back to this opinion. Huh. What a rebuke. Basically, they said this was all kabuki theater. Remember, Barr came out and made it seem as if he was really considering and deliberating mm -hmm. what OLC said. And the courts, both the district court, essentially said you're, you know, you were lying here. You just pretended that you were deliberating it's not even deliberation because it was pre-cooked you'd already made up your mind man that is a slap across the face to the previous attorney general what will it matter for everything else i think it just again more atmospherics uh about how what a dishonest administration they were but the courts again and again now are really coming through and being the sort of crucible of the truth even as to things in 2019 that's a strong trend that is happening week by week. You know, it's telling me that as much as people might think a lot of these questions are resolved or put in the forget about it category, people are still yes. wanting to know the information. We still remember, we want to know what's in it. And even rec recalling the Strickland Memorandum, I'm very curious to see what's in it. Was it sort of a, a self-fulfilling prophecy not to do anything about it? Or was there some meat on that bone? We'll have to wait and see. Gentlemen, nice to see you all Friday nights. Thanks. Well, look, so. I don't, perhaps a lot discussed tonight with CNN's chief political correspondent, Dana Bash. Dana, so good to see you tonight. Um, can you just sort of read some tea leaves here? I mean, you've got earlier in the week, <laughs> Vice President Mike Pence saying that he'd give any invitation to testify what he called due consideration. Of course, he was talking maybe about executive privilege. And now you've got Liz Cheney tonight saying this. I, read the tea leaves for us. Is Vice President Mike Pence going to testify? Is that even likely? That'd be awesome. Unlikely. <laughs> Highly unlikely. Why not? Is uh, the answer to that question. And that's it's mostly coming from like the, best uh, the people in and around the former vice president. We did hear him talk about the possibility and that they're discussing and discussing it. But then the rest of his answer when he was in New Hampshire, uh, by the way, earlier this week, was about the constitutionality of it and the questions around that. And 
just sort of speaking my pants, if you will, the way that I read that and the way, more importantly, the way that one of his top advisors told me to read it was, it's very unlikely. Of course, and you mentioned he was in New Hampshire. Californians have a choice between two initiatives on sports betting. Prop 27 generates hundreds of millions every year to permanently fund getting people off the streets and into housing. Prop 26. Right, that's an important point because he has not yet announced he wants to run, but you think he may be teetering on that particular moment? Well, he also went to Iowa. So New Hampshire first, then Iowa. Uh, He's teetering in a big big way really he's seriously considering it and he's trying to to sort of stake a claim to a very very interesting spot which is somebody who uh, has the experience with donald trump but certainly it has part of it not necessarily left on his own volition but been kicked out of trump world because he had the audacity to follow the constitution and the law on january 6th so he's been trying to just sort of accept that fate and stake out a separate place and thinking maybe there's a lane for him. The biggest example of that this week, Laura, was when he said that it's appropriate to question and ask for transparency from the Justice Department for Merrick Garland, but it is not appropriate to say that uh, we should defund the FBI, as some Republicans have said, and to really go after members of law enforcement like his former bosses. Bad news, Lindsey Graham, and his attempts to dodge a subpoena to appear before the Fulton County Special Grand Jury, the one investigating Republican efforts to overturn the election results in Georgia. A federal judge refusing to put a hold on her ruling that the senator has got to appear. We're also getting new information about concerns from inside the Biden White House and the intelligence community about classified information taken to Mar-a-Lago. Joining me now to discuss, CNN legal analyst and former federal prosecutor Elliot Williams and Kim Whaley, visiting professor of law at American University. She's the author of How to Think Like a Lawyer. And also joining us, Palm Beach County State Attorney Dave Ehrenberg. Nice to see you all here. We've got a whole law firm spread happening right now. I love it. I love it. Who are we billing this hour? We don't really know. But I'll begin with you, Elliot, here, because look, it's just a week ago today, right, that we learned that from the court that Trump was keeping top secret, highly classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. Then we found out the DOJ interviewed two top White House lawyers about it. And then early next week, we may learn what's in the affidavit that made it so urgent for them to actually seize this material. I mean, when you think about this investigation, that one, this, that, it, a lot has happened in a very short amount of time. What do you make of it? Uh, you know, a lot has happened in a very short amount of time, Laura. You know, I think the most significant uh, development right now is what happens with this affidavit. Now, look, I, I'll be the first to tell you, I was surprised uh, that the judge yesterday uh, showed as much willingness uh, as it did in being willing to op- to possibly uh, make portions of the of the affidavit supporting the search warrant of Mar-a-Lago available. Now, look, it's going to be redacted, um, and I think we're not going to see a lot of the truly juicy material in it. Now, the question of how many redactions uh, will go into a document and still make it uh, in some way valuable to the public interest remains to be seen. Um, but that's that's the interesting aspect of this. But look, Laura, when you frame it the way you did, it, it's just easy to, to lose sight of the fact that all of this is remarkable. Um, any search at the home of a former president of the United States where 
perhaps multiple people are being might be accused of crimes it's itself quite significant alone and we, and we shouldn't lose sight of that you're absolutely right i mean taking a step back kim this is a lot happening involving a former president the former president's home has been searched there are documents that are there and as much as there are a number of investigations and moments of extraordinary poignance as elliot points out i mean you also have a lot of excuses that are coming up from the former president and his allies in fact here's the latest kim so, Kim, here is my rhetorical question for you. Is Rudy Giuliani right? About what? Rudy Giuliani is making <laughs> stuff up. I mean, I hope he's right. I completely agree with Elliot that this is really serious stuff. I mean, the big question in my mind isn't even what's in the affidavit. It's what happened to that information that was taken out of the White House that uh, was was of various levels of uh, national security interests. I'm not going to use the word classified because people seem to think that's what has to be attached to a violation of these statutes. And that's not the case. I mean, did this information get in the hands of our enemies or was it just seen by people who shouldn't see it? I mean, that's really the issue. I think I agree also that it's, it's odd that the judge um, did what he did. On the other hand, he might be taking a page from Merrick Garland's book and calling Donald Trump's bluff because the Trump team, that camp has not asked to have this affidavit released. And mm -hmm. there might be stuff in there, even redactions, if it's a very lengthy affidavit, which I expect it is because I expect the FBI and the DOJ really did their homework on this one because it's a former pre president. Um, but the, you know, the silence could speak volumes uh, to rebut this this onslaught of misinformation and attack on the investigators and the people that are adhering to the rule of law. Well, see, yeah, here's my, my yeah, thought, Dave, on this. I guess maybe the most important question is, is Giuliani wrong in this issue here? But my, my question really is just thinking about the way if past is prologue. I mean, we all can see in the future here and the not too distant one that when you've got redactions, even if they are redacted for all of the right reasons, according to 